So last week I heard a funny. On a typical Mother's Day, we will hear a sermon about how great mothers are. True, isn't it? Isn't that true? On a typical Father's Day, we will hear a sermon about how horrible dads are. Isn't that true? Today, <laughs> today you get a break from that. We're not going to talk about how horrible dads are, but at the same time, I do want to take time to recognize dads. Satan desires more than anything to destroy families. And dads, I want you to look at me for a second. The main way that he is going to do that is he's going to try to work through you. Over years of being a youth pastor and getting to see multiple aspects of ministry, I've learned a lot about the important role of a father in the home. One of those comes by way of a statistic. That is one that really opened my eyes to the importance of a father in the home. And the statistic was about how a child comes to Christ, when a child comes to Christ, and the influence that a father can have on a child coming to Christ. If a child comes to church by themselves, and unfortunately we have this a lot, if a child comes to church by themselves, picked up by a bus or brought with a neighbor, some what have you, there is about a 35% chance that that child will come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. If a mother brings a child to church, that statistic jumps up drastically to about 60%. But one of the most overwhelming statistics of it all was if a father is present in church and in home, there is a 90% chance that your child will come to Christ. Fathers, I think we forget something. They're watching us. They're watching us. And I found something last night that really speaks to the volume of a father. And the author of this quote is unknown. But dads, I want you to hear me on this. The quote simply states this. Dad, a son's first hero a daughter's first love. How true is that? And that's why this morning I want us to take time to pray for our families, but most specifically to pray for our dads. We need dads. We need spiritual dads in our life to help build us up and help build up the next generation. And some people would say, well, yeah, the mom can step in. Yes, I agree, because I had that situation. I had that situation to where a mom had to step in, but there is still a huge void in my heart where my dad should have been. So this morning, I'm asking us all to stand. And I'm asking us all to go to the Lord in prayer. As we take a moment to pray for dads, to pray for the families and ask God to empower them with his Holy Spirit to help them step up and run the race that they've been given. Let's pray.
Father, this morning, first, I want to thank you for showing me what it means to be a father. Without you, God, I would have had no idea in which direction to go. And I know even as a dad right now, Lord, I still feel like I'm running in circles. But it's because of the things that you have taught me and showed me through your word and how you have continually loved me that I know better how to be a father. The first thing, Lord, that you showed me is that you are present in my life. And this morning, Lord, I pray that fathers are present. Father, I get it. I understand the draws of life, pulling dads left and right. But I also know, Lord, when the protector is not there, Satan makes his way in. And Father, whether it be before work, after work, on weekends, what have it, I just ask, Lord, that you would empower dads to be present, to put away the cell phones, to turn off the TV and just spend that time with their dad, with their children. Father, I also, you've showed me that one of the most important things that a dad could do is love regardless of the circumstance. And I pray God this morning that you would help dads to love the same way that you love us. Father, I get it. I understand it all too well. Our kids are never going to live up to our standards. But sometimes, Father, I think we set the standard too high. And sometimes I forget that we never yet could even live up to your standards. And that is why you sent your son to die for us. But Father, the other thing that I've seen you do so many times in my life, and you've taught me, is that a father helps. Father, you've helped me in my greatest time of need. And I pray that parents, fathers specifically, will continue to help their children. Father, we don't understand this world that they are growing up in because it is so far beyond what we grew up in. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that we just wash our hands of it and give up. Father, help us help our children come to an understanding of who you are and what you've done. Help us to remember that the most important thing that we can help them in is recognizing you, Lord, as God. You are the one, Lord, who will protect them, who will guide them, and who will take them in to their future. And Father, we just pray that you would help us as fathers be a small piece of helping our children to do that as well. Father, I know our families are under attack, every single one of us. In some way, shape, or form, we have a family member who is hurt, who is distraught, who is broken by what is going on. But we stand before you, Lord, as a group of people who are lifting our hearts up to you. Please, raise up dads to be the men that you've called them to be. 
And Father, I know every single one of them feel like they are not capable of doing this. Help them to remember, Lord, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead resides in them. And that same spirit, Lord, can help them rise to the occasion of being dad in their home, father to their children, present, loving, and helping in every aspect of their lives. We love you, Lord. We just ask that you be with us this morning, Lord, as we spend this time in your word. May this word, Lord, sharpen us all, not just the fathers, all. Because, Father, we need to realize how present you are in our life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. For those... For those of you who were able to make it last night, man, I'm going to tell you, I am absolutely pumped. Last night, we had the uh, Mac Powell concert benefit for the Isaiah 117 house. And I'm going to tell you something. It wasn't a concert. It was a worship service. From the very beginning to the very end, it was saturated in the word. We did sing some other songs. We got some Fleetwood Mac in there. We got some Fleetwood Mac Powell. But at the same time, we had a great time worshiping together, serving together. And not only that, guys, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but the Isaiah 117 house is very, very, very close to opening. And this is a ministry that is close to my heart because of the children in foster care that it is going to benefit. So I ask that you continue to be in prayer for that. Anytime you see the opportunity to help with the Isaiah 117 house, people ask, is this a valid ministry? It's a valid ministry that I am completely sold out on to the point that we are a supporter of this ministry. And not only that, we're going to be actively working in it. So with that being said, let's get on into the sermon this morning. If I were to ask you a question, which I'm good at because I ask you all a lot of questions. And the question being this, what do you think the greatest disservice that we do to God as believers is? What would be your response? I'm going to give you a minute to think about it. What do you think is one of the greatest disservices as a believer that we do to God? Some would say it would be the examples that we give. And I get this because the lives we live, you know, it's important. People are watching us. Not only are our children watching us, other people are watching us. And a lot of times people of the church give the church a bad name. And whenever the church gets a bad name, do you know who that light reflects towards? So we do. We have to be careful about being a good example. But I still don't believe that is the greatest disservice. Some would say that it is our failure in witnessing and proclamation of the word. And again, I get that. I totally agree with that. I think that our lack of evangelism is part of the reason that the United States is in the shape that it is in. We are seeking for a savior, but the only problem is we're seeking for a savior in the White House and not a savior in our houses. And this has become a great disservice to God, but at the same time, I still don't think it is the most grievous of all of them. Some would say it's half-hearted devotion. And again, I can see this one too. We got a lot of people who will play church on Sunday, who will even play church on Wednesday, but when it comes to Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, they live as if God does not exist. And again, I can see that as a great disservice to God, but I really do not think it is 
the top. When it comes to the top disservice that I think as believers that we do to God and to who he is, is our failure to recognize him for who he is in our lives every day. Think about this right now. God, if you are a believer, God was with you yesterday. If you are a believer, God was with you the day before that. If you were a believer, God was with you the week before that, the month before that, the year before that. If you are a believer, from the moment that you profess Jesus Christ as Lord, Master, and Savior, God has been with you. And the form in which God is with us is one that we do not look to a lot. Many people have wrote books about this disservice that we do to God. Charles Stanley wrote a book called The Spirit-Filled Life. Francis Chan wrote a book called The Forgotten God. Billy Graham even wrote a book called The Holy Spirit Activating the Power of God in Your Life. And every single one of them have to do with one part, or not part, but one person in the Trinity. And that's the Holy Spirit. Whenever we talk about the Holy Spirit, realize this, we are talking about God. A lot of us think of him as just a guiding spirit to help us in our life, and that is very true. A lot of us just think of someone who helped us understand that we needed Christ, and that is true. But most of us do not recognize him for who he is. He is God. You can pray to the Holy Spirit. You can serve in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can live a life activated by the Holy Spirit that will point people to Him. Matter of fact, I want to share something with you. Most of you don't understand this and most of you don't realize this, but without the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you would have not even come to know Jesus as Savior. When I was on sabbatical through the month of February last year, I had three books that I really wanted to read. For those who know me, I don't do well with reading. Audibles has been a lifesaver for me because I can listen to a book and it's great. But during that time, I did not get to read all the books that I wanted to read. One of those books was a book called Fan the Flame by a pastor that many of us know by the name of Jim Cimbala. Jim Simbola is the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle. They've got one of the greatest choirs that I have ever heard before in my life. Tommy has even sung some of their songs. But in his book, Fan the Flame, he wrote it for a specific reason. To remind pastors about the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. You see, pastors aren't exempt from neglecting the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, most of us are very guilty in neglecting the Holy Spirit because a lot of us will spend a lot of time prepping on a sermon, hours. I'm talking about hours, and I'm not saying you shouldn't prep for a sermon. Do not take that from this sermon. But at the same time, without the power of, a whole, of the Holy Spirit in a sermon, that sermon is pointless. The work of God has to work through the preacher, 
The Holy Spirit has to work through the words that are spoken to bring transformation to an individual's life. You want proof? I'll show it to you. Turn with me to John chapter 16. I want to set this up a little bit before we get into this. Because Jesus is spending some time with his disciples before he is about to go to the cross. And in John chapter 16, he is trying to tell them about things that are going to happen that they don't yet understand. And one of the things that they really don't understand is exactly what's going to happen to Jesus. So he starts off talking to them in kind of a, um, it's kind of a unique start to John chapter 16. But follow along with me, John chapter 16, verse 1, we're going to go through 15. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. Let me repeat that one more time. These things I have spoken to you that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogues. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their, when their hour comes, <clears throat> you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. That's a key point there. Jesus is trying to tell these guys, I'm fixing to leave. I'm fixing to leave. Get ready. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has already been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he comes, the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative but whatever he hears he will speak <clears throat> and he will disclose to you what is to come and he will glorify me for he will take mine and dis will disclose it to you all things that the father has are mine therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you first thing really want us to focus on is in verse 7. He says to him, I will send him to you. When we see this, our minds do some crazy things. Kind of like the same way we think about Jesus. 
We think about Jesus coming on the scene when he was born, but we really don't think about Jesus existing before he become the incarnated flesh. The same way with the Holy Spirit. We don't think about the Holy Spirit's active work in our life and even in the world before we come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. But we've got to remember that the Holy Spirit was present at creation. Genesis 1, chapter 10, talks about how the earth was formless, void. But it also talks about how the Spirit of God hovered over the earth. The Holy Spirit was also what sustains our universe. In Psalms 4, uh, 104, verses 18 through 24, it talks about how God and the whole, through the work of the Holy Spirit is holding everything in our universe together. You know what's funny? The scientists, they've got lots of answers about why our universe is the way it is. But you know there's a lot about our universe that they can't explain? Like they really can't explain why the earth is staying right where it's at in its orbit around the sun. They really can't explain why it's tilted at 22 degrees perfectly tilted at 22 degrees, because if it was not, we would go flying about 400 miles an hour that what direction. They can't explain how all of it come about. But God's word tells us through the beginning that everything is held together by his spirit. We also see the Holy Spirit present in the life of the judges. We see the Holy Spirit protecting Israel in Isaiah 63. We see the Holy Spirit responsible for the human conception of Jesus, our Savior, when he came to this earth. And see, a lot of times we forget this. We forget that the Holy Spirit has been actively working in creation and every aspect of life since there was time. The Holy Spirit just doesn't come on the scene. He's always been there. And the reason he's always been there is because he is just as much God as the Father and the Son. Hang on to that point because we're really going to get back to that. But when Jesus says, I will send him to you, Jesus is trying to tell the disciples something very specific. Ezekiel, Isaiah, all of them prophesied about how God was going to put his spirit in people. And you know, we look back at the Old Testament, and I think a lot of times we think, man, I would have loved to have been there to seen that. Man, I would have loved to have been there when Jesus denounced that spirit, went to the pigs, and they all run off the cliff. Wouldn't y'all like to have seen that? I would have loved to have seen that. Or would you like to have been there when Elijah called down the fire from God and it come down and it consumed the altar, consumed the ground, burnt everything? Wouldn't y'all like to have been there to see that? And we look at these things and we say, man, we missed out on a lot. But sometimes I wonder if those Old Testament prophets, if those Old Testament saints ever wondered what it was going to be like to have the Spirit of God live in them. Think about this for a minute. 
If you are a believer, in your loneliest moment, in those moments when you feel like nobody is around, in those moments when you feel like everybody has forsaken you, in those moments when you feel like the crowd has left, you are never alone. Not only is there someone with you, there is someone in you. And his name is God. So how does he get there? Hmm. We find the answer to that in verses 8 through 11. He said that the Holy Spirit come to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness and judgment and like you I pro- like you I know many of you have heard a sermon on exactly what some of these things were but I've also heard some bad spins on exactly what's being talked about by the spirit to come and convict people of sin righteousness and judgment so let's go to it real quick he come to convict sin what's the first thing that you think about When I say the word sin, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Come on, y'all can interact. Huh? All right, everybody get up and do jumping jacks. (laughs) You neither do jumping jacks or interact. Sin, first thing popped to your mind. What is it? Doing wrong things. Doing wrong things. What else? Lying. Lying. What else? Unbelief. Unbelief. We'll get to that one in a minute. Why did you do that? I know. What's another one? Selfishness. Selfishness. What's another one? Murder. Murder. Give me another one. Stealing. Stealing. One more. Huh? Coveting. That's one that we don't talk about too much, is it? Nobody said adultery. I kind of, hmm. (laughs) Kind of wondering about y'all now. Nobody said adultery. It is a sin. But when we think about sin, we think about all those things. We think about the Ten Commandments and what we should do and what we should not do. But the one thing that we don't really think about is what Pastor Jerry, ruined my sermon, thanks, said. The main sin that the Holy Spirit come to convict us of was unbelief. Do you know that for every other sin, there is forgiveness? For every sin that you commit of the flesh, there is forgiveness. Aaron read a scripture. And again, this is one that I don't think we really take to heart because a lot of people worry about what they're going to have to answer for when they go before God. Let me tell you something. If you are a believer and you go before God, you will not have to answer for any of your sins. If you answer for your, if you go before God and answer your sins, then what we've read in his word is a liar because he separates his, our sin as far as from the east is from the west. We don't answer for our sins. Some people say, well, what do you think we'll have to answer for? Sometimes I wonder, will we answer for not trusting God when he told us to move? Sometimes I wonder, will we answer for not telling people about Jesus? 
Some people say, well, I wonder, do you think we will answer to God for not being that good example? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know. But I do know this. We will not answer for our sin. Jesus already did that. But the one thing that there is no forgiveness for is absolute rejection of God. In Matthew, Jesus tried to tell the disciples about this and the, and the Sanhedrin that there is only one sin that is unforgivable. And it is the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. I'm a firm believer in this. I do not believe with anything in me that God created people to burn, die, in everlasting torment. I don't believe it. I don't believe it because it says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But something has to happen for us to call upon his name. Jesus told us earlier in John that unless we are drawn, we won't come. Why is that? Because in our nature, we don't gravitate towards anything that is truly good and pure. Watch yourself. Watch yourself. Naturally, we gravitate towards things that are not good for us. Sugar, caffeine, carbs, love them, but they don't love my body. We gravitate towards these things. So we needed somebody to help us understand that we needed God. Our main sin was our rejection of him. But he also says he'll point us to righteousness. And again, most people think about righteousness as living right. And to some aspect, yes, that is true. Righteousness is about living right. But how many of you in here think that you are good enough to live a life that will make you right with God? He even goes on to say, he said, he will teach us on righteousness or convict us on righteousness because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me. And what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples is this. On your best day, you still fail. On your most holy, righteous day, you still fail. And the only way that you can get to the Father is through the righteousness that I give you. Teachers, preachers, whatever you may be, listen to me. I get it. We want people to live a holy life because God is holy. But we have to be careful in this 
Because if we're not careful in this, we start teaching things like behavioral modification. We start thinking, teaching things like moralism. And yes, is there some good to this? Absolutely. But true behavioral modification, true moral standings does not come unless there is a heart transformation first. And that heart transformation comes when we realize that there is nothing that we can do in ourselves to make our way to God. The Holy Spirit reveals this to us. Then he goes on to say judgment. And again, most of us think about answering to God when it's talking about judgment. But listen what he pertains to judgment to. Because the ruler of this world has been judged. Who knows who the ruler of this world is? Satan. A lot of people will say God. Mm -mm, not scripturally. Satan is the ruler of this world. He's the one. And people say, well, I thought God's in control. He is. He's very much in control. But Satan has room for a little while. He has room to move in your life, in my life, in this world, there will be a time that he is bound. Then he will be released again. And then he will ultimately suffer the same consequence as every believer. Because regardless of what you've been told, Satan is not the ruler of hell. He is actually the first occupant. He will serve the same punishment that anyone who does not believe in God serves. So why is he saying that the ruler of this world has already been judged? Because in our understanding, we still think that there are some things that we can do to save ourselves, And unfortunately, the things that we look to are the things that we can see, the things that we can touch, the things that we can manage, the things that we can hold to. Things like our 401ks, things like life insurance, and I'm not downing these things. I'm really not. But at the same time, we've got to realize these are not the things that preserve our life. This world is judged. And this world will burn. So parents, dads, listen to me on this. If you are teaching your kids to grab a hold of the things of this world, popularity, possessions, anything of that nature, you're teaching them to grab a hold of something that is judged, something that is going to burn. Teach your kids to grab hold of God. So when he's talking about this right here, he's talking about the work that takes place in our lives when we come to know God as Lord and Savior. Most of you, you've been there. But we have to realize this. The work of salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not the work of the preacher. It's not the work of the Sunday school teacher. It's not the work of the deacons. It's not the work of anyone else. 
Salvation, bringing a person to that point is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I've got to ask a question with that because we talked about this really in depth in our Sunday school group. How many of you will admit you have somebody in your life right now, very close to you, who is lost? Anybody willing to admit it? When's the last time you asked the Holy Spirit to do work in their life that you can't? As a dad, I want to protect my boys. As a pastor, I want to protect these children. As their Wednesday night, one of their Wednesday night teachers, I want to do something that will lead them to God. But at the same time, I know apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, I am useless. Brothers and sisters, let's start praying for the Holy Spirit to do in people's lives what only it can do. Will the Holy Spirit use my words? Absolutely. Will the Holy Spirit use your words? Most definitely. Will the Holy Spirit use a father or a mother? I have seen it time and time again. But at the same time, it's not the dad leading the child to Christ. It's not the mom leading the child to Christ. It is the Holy Spirit leading them to Christ. Jesus told us right here. In verse 12, he goes on to say something, though. He says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. Let's try to put ourselves where the disciples were. Did the disciples have any idea what was about to take place? No. Did the disciples know that later this evening that Jesus was going to be arrested? No. Did the disciples know that sometime the next day that Jesus was going to go on trial? No. Did the disciples know that sometime later that next day that Jesus was going to be hung on a cross? No. Did the disciples know that Jesus was going to die? No. Did the disciples know that Jesus was going to raise from the dead? Absolutely not. Did the disciples know that Jesus was going to reappear to them and be with them for 40 days? No. Did the disciples know that after that 40 days that Jesus was going to ascend to the Father? No. And I want you to think about this for a minute. Because I don't think we really appreciate the whole scenario that's going on here. Because what the disciples are going to go through in a period of less than two months is a long expanse of ups and downs. Ups and downs. Ups and downs. Let's be honest. If you followed somebody for three years and they died, would you continue to follow them? Probably not. 
If somebody told you that they were the Messiah and you had this thought in your mind of what that Messiah meant and they died, would you continue to follow them? No. If they come back, would it give you renewing hope? Absolutely. But if they left again, what would it do? Absolutely crush you again. Man, this is a great illustration to life as a believer. Those people who paint the Christian life as cupcakes and daisies, they've lost their flipping mind. This is the biggest whirlwind I have ever been in before in my life. There are days when I am, feel like I'm at the top of my game, but there are also days when I feel like I am absolutely crushed. And what Jesus was trying to tell the disciples is, during this time, you're gonna need help. There are days in my life that I need help just to even get out of bed. There are days in my life that I need help to simply open my Bible. There are days in my life where I need help with understanding of what the Word of God says. There are days in my life that I need understanding of what's going on in my life. And brothers and sisters, we have somebody who resides inside of us who has all the answers. And I get it. Whenever things are going wrong, you want to talk to somebody, don't you? You want to talk to a pastor. You want to talk to a counselor. You want to talk to a psychiatrist or a psychologist. You want to talk to a friend. But let me give you some insight into something that none of those people can help you with. None of them can help you understand what's going on inside of you. Not a single one of them. I said it last week. We have too much medication. I said it last week. We have too many self-help books. We have too many other things telling us what's wrong and what we need to do. And most of the time, the last person that we console with is God who lives in us. Do you see why this is such a disservice to the Holy Spirit? It's God. And I know some of you say, it doesn't make sense. A lot of things in life don't make sense. I'm gonna get down to y'all's level for a minute. A lot of things in life really don't make sense at all. I've been blessed to see quite a few things that didn't make sense. Almost 15 years ago, well, not quite that long, but a gentleman came to me and he told me, he said, uh, he said, I'm looking for property. I said, okay, what are you looking for property for? He said, I want to start a camp. I thought, awesome. 
Let's start a camp. The gentleman, led by the Holy Spirit, purchased 200 and some odd acres over in Suchus. And you know what me and this gentleman figured out real quick? We got the property for the camp. We just don't know how to do it. We really did not know what we were doing. We had no idea what we were doing. Along the line, God led some people to us that really helped us to bring the camp to where it is at now. But at the same time, we had no idea about John Dixon coming to help us. We had no idea about Summer and Gary coming to help us. We had no idea about Tim and Lisa who were in Jacksonville, Florida. What good comes out of Jacksonville, Florida? Hey, yeah. <laughs> Just joking with you. We didn't know anything about it, but who did? And you know, we've heard a lot about walking by the Spirit. We've heard a lot of things about that in our life. But you know the one thing that a book cannot teach us is what it's like to walk by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit is like drinking a drink of water. Until you take that first sip, you can't take the next one. Same thing with walking. Until you take that next step, you can't take the one after that. And I get it because it's during those times that you can't always see what the next step is. But do you know who can see that next step? The spirit that resides in you. Can I just be real with you for a minute? I have no idea what I'm doing. Not very comforting as coming from your pastor, is it? I have absolutely no idea what I am doing. There's a lot of books out there that can tell me how to grow a church. There's a lot of things out there that can tell me how to make a very attractive church. But honestly, even with those books, I don't know what I'm doing. And there are days I feel like quitting. As a husband, most days I don't know what I'm doing. Don't amen it. <laughs> I know you want to, but shh. Don't pull a Jerry. Don't ruin the sermon. Just messing with you. But as a husband, I really don't know what I'm doing. Women are the most confusing thing in the world to me. And you know what's funny is because women will look at their husband and say, you're the most confusing thing in the world to me. But we do. We, we don't know what we're doing. You want to really magnify that? Throw kids in the equation. Man, as a father, I have no idea what I am doing. My kids are nothing but guinea pigs. If something doesn't work, I try something else. You know what I'm going at. Scotty, how's this supposed to bring us comfort? 
Because the very first disciples had no idea what they were doing. Did they have any idea that God was going to use these 12 men to start a worldwide movement that would change the world forever? No. Jesus told Peter, upon this profession, I'm going to build my church. The first thing that probably come to Peter's mind is, what's a church? How do we do that? Jesus, I thought you were going to come do all this for us. I thought we were just going to sit back and watch. Brothers and sisters, this is where we do the Holy Spirit disservice. Because the Holy Spirit indwelled us to use these bodies for His purpose and for His glory. And I know we've all got our ideas. What would make a great church? What would make a great Bible study? What would make a great ministry outreach? What would make a great father? What would make a great husband? What would make a great child? Y'all figure that out, let me know. Brothers and sisters, it all comes down to one thing. It all comes down to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And you know what's funny? Every time I feel like quitting, because I do, I'm not going to lie to you. I know, y'all woke up some days, y'all feel like quitting too. The only thing that keeps me from quitting is every time I'm at that moment that I want to quit, I hear one of those small voices that say, Take the next step. Well, God, I don't know what that next step's going to hold. Take the next step. Well, God, I don't know what I'm going to do when I get to that next step. Take the next step. But God, I can't even see what's in front of me. Take the next step. story I shared with y'all earlier about the campus Melton Fellowship Camp. We had no idea what God was going to do through that camp. This summer, we've seen many kids already surrender their life to Christ. Don, could you see that? Shannon, could you see that? You thought your husband was crazy, didn't you? It's all right. I did too, honestly. I thought he was buying us hunting land, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Even when one of the individuals in here could not see what was going to happen, he listened and he took the next step. What's the next whole step the Holy Spirit's telling you to take right now? You're scared, aren't you? You're worried, aren't you? Because you can't see what's beyond that next step. You're concerned 
What's it going to cost you? How's it going to affect your life? How's it going to affect your life with your children? How's it going to affect your children? How's it going to affect your family? And the most beautiful thing about that is God already knows. God already knows and he's already got a plan in place for your life. Are you willing to take the next step? For some of you, that next step is simply this. You realize this morning that you have sin in your life. But the sin that is separating you from God right now more than anything is your disbelief in him as Lord and Savior. And this morning, you realize with everything inside of you that there is nothing that you can do that can make you righteous enough to get to God. And you know that if you stood before God right now as a sinner, that you would be seen as guilty, judged. And this morning, the Holy Spirit's letting you know that right now. Your next step is simply to surrender your life to him. Well, what about for the rest of us? What about for the rest of us, the ones who have already surrendered our lives to God? What's our next step? Can't always tell you that. But I can tell you this. You won't know it until you take it. And for some of you this morning, it's time to take that step. The Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit will guide you. And the Holy Spirit will never lead you into a path that you will regret. I can promise you that. Pray with me. Father, this morning I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit that you've sent us. I'm thankful that you dwell inside of me. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you're the one who does the work, that you're the one who's drawing the people. But I'm also thankful that you allow me to be a mouthpiece. And this morning, Lord, as we come to this time of invitation, help us all take the next step. God, we're scared. God, we don't know where that next step's gonna lead us. But Father, we trust you. We trust you to take us where you want us to go because we know that you love us too much to leave us where we're at. Father, do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in His glory. 
We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.